0: You are listening to As a Woman, Episode 11, Naturally and Fertile, Optimizing Your Fertility. In this episode, we will discuss the best fertility lifestyle and optimizing your natural fertility. Learn how to improve your chance of conception each month by understanding what you should be doing and not doing while trying to conceive. Listen to how environmental exposures, diet, and supplements play a role in your fertility, both naturally and in the course of fertility treatments. So I have titled this episode, Naturally Infertile, because I believe there is so much about what we do in the world today that we are predisposing ourselves to having a harder time getting pregnant. And this whole episode is about how you can optimize your chances and live a healthy, fertile lifestyle to try to take control of what you can. I am so excited to be talking about this because this is something that I am very passionate about, which is natural fertility. And I want to say that I am a believer that if something has evidence that it could potentially help you, and we know it's not going to harm you, then I'm generally a fan of it. The truth is, sometimes some of our parameters when it comes to lifestyle and fertility are hard to study, and just because we may not have perfect evidence doesn't mean that something may not be impactful. And so we're going to dive in. I'm starting with natural fertility, so a little bit about your cycles and how to try to improve your chances of getting pregnant each month. After we go through that, we're going to talk a little bit about diet, toxins, lifestyle, things like that. So I'm going to start with aging, which you know I have an entire episode on age and fertility. So this is going to be less, but in case you didn't listen to that episode, these facts are still important. So your chance of getting pregnant decreases the older you are. Hopefully, that's not shocking. This is for two reasons. One is you start to run out of eggs, but also, and more importantly, the quality of those eggs changes with time. It decreases, and you have an increased chance of genetic abnormalities and an increased chance of miscarriage. My take-home message here is that if you are starting your family earlier, you need to pay more attention to what you are doing each month Pay attention to lifestyle factors that may make a difference for your fertility and try to optimize your chance of success because time is not on your side. I think it's also important to know that about 80% of couples who are trying to get pregnant will get pregnant within six months. So regardless of your age, if you're outside of this window, you're already starting to fall off the curve. And if you're 35 and older, you should be getting a fertility evaluation. And if you're younger than 35, you can wait up to a year, but you certainly don't have to. Having regular menstrual cycles is very important in this process. And the reason why this is important is that you have to be able to detect your ovulation in order to best time intercourse. One option is using apps to detect this, and the apps essentially use the calendar method. They claim that the second half of the cycle or the luteal phase is set in length, and they subtract that from your average cycles to give you the ovulation day in your fertile window. Importantly, if your periods aren't regular, The app is not putting your fertile window in the right time frame. But knowing when you ovulate is important because you will hear us fertility specialists tell you that the fertile window is the five days ending on the day of ovulation. So if you don't know when you ovulate, how do you know what those five days are? And the reason that it's like this is for two different factors. One is that the egg after it ovulates lives for only 24 hours. However, sperm can live for longer inside the female reproductive tract and for up to five days. So that's the reasoning why that fertile window is five days ending on the day of ovulation. Now, now having sex in the two-day interval ending on the day of ovulation has been shown in studies to be associated with the highest chance of getting pregnant. So think of it this way. Just because the sperm can live in the reproductive tract for up to five days doesn't mean that they always do. So back to you need to know when you're ovulating. So if you're using your app and your cycles are really regular, that is one way. But other ways include fertility awareness methods or FAM. So these are ovulation predictor kits, cervical mucus monitoring, and basal body temperature. So let's start with OPKs, ovulation predictor kits. So these are kits that you urinate on like you do a pregnancy test. And there's actually multiple different kinds. So originally, These tests, you would urinate on about one time a day, and it would show positive when you had an LH surge. So if we remember that LH is the hormone that causes you to ovulate, you would be checking your urine every day. And if you have kits like this, I recommend you check your urine one time per day between 10 a.m. and 2 p.m. reason why is the typical LH surge is early in the morning, so you need to give it time to get to your urine. So if you're checking first thing in the morning or last thing in the evening, you actually may miss your surge. The surge leaving is totally dependent on your metabolism and how fast you clear it out. So once you get a positive surge, there's no need to keep testing further. And the positive surge is the day before you ovulate. And a note on some of the newer OPKs. So actually, there are some on the market now that will try to tell you that five-day window leading up to when you ovulate. And it's not measuring LH here. These tests are actually measuring estrogen. Estrogen is made from an egg as it's getting closer in maturity. So when it's telling you, hey, you're in your fertile window, it's checking your estrogen level, and then it still should be giving you a peak day based on your LH surge or when you ovulate. These tests can sometimes be really frustrating for women who don't ovulate regularly or if you have PCOS because you may have some false positive surges. And for most women, you can start taking the test around cycle day 10 because that's before you'll ovulate. Take one a day at the set time around midday. And the day you get a positive is the day before you ovulate and then don't take any more tests. Your two most fertile days in that cycle are the day of the positive, the day before you ovulate, and the day after the positive or the day you actually do ovulate. And so another type of fertility awareness method is cervical mucus monitoring. And so this is the vaginal secretions that are right inside the vaginal opening or the introitus. This is certainly an inexpensive way and private and pretty easy. And the whole premise here is that as that mature egg makes more estrogen, it changes the consistency of the cervical mucus in order to allow sperm to go through. And so if you put your fingers in and you pull out your mucus, if it is slippery, stretchy, egg white when you spread your fingers, that is the type 4 cervical mucus and that is the most fertile cervical mucus associated with the day of ovulation. And the other type of fertility awareness method is BBT or basal body temperature monitoring. And so for this type, the whole premise here is that after you ovulate, after the egg has been released, that corpus luteum makes progesterone and progesterone increases your natural body temperature. So if you detect your body temperature every day in the morning, so you actually have to do it before you get out of bed, before you drink any water and record it, you will see about a half a degree increase after you ovulate. Now, the important thing here is this is telling you, hey, you already ovulated. And after you ovulate, your fertile window is closed. So your most fertile days are actually the two to three days leading up to before your temperature shifts. This is helpful to confirm ovulation. And if you have a consistent pattern, this could help you in future cycles. This is also the premise under like the Ava bracelet or some of the other Fertility monitoring apps that have you measuring temperature in some form or fashion. And a side note that your basal body temperature is also regulated by your hypothalamus and other things can shift it, such as illness, fever, stress, shift work, working at night, interrupted sleep cycles, drinking, travel, time zone changes, medications, etc. So this is not the best method for everybody. But so let's say you're using one or none of these methods of fertility awareness monitoring. Let's talk about sex because that's the other part of the equation. You have to know when you ovulate and you have to have sex. So one easy way that you'll hear some doctors say or some people say is just start having sex every other day around day 10. And this is because since sperm can live in the reproductive tract for longer than a day, you are hitting your most fertile days if you have sex every other day in the fertile window. But I've heard so many patients hear that and then think, oh, well, having more sex must be bad because more ejaculations must lower the fertility. And that's not true. If you are an everyday sex kind of person, good for you. But don't start having less sex during the time you're trying to get pregnant. Certainly on the other end, if you guys don't have sex that often and you try to have sex every day, starting at the beginning of your fertile window... You may be burned out on sex by the time it gets to the day you actually ovulate. And I always say if you're not going to have sex very often, if you're really looking to just target the peak days, it would be the day before and the day of ovulation. If you had to pick two days in the whole cycle. So the day of the positive OPK and the day after or the day that you're expecting ovulation based on cervical mucus or based on prior BBT shifts now some other things about sex. It has been shown that sperm moves rapidly through the female reproductive tract. It can be even as little as two minutes sperm has been seen into the fallopian tubes. And interestingly, it tends to go to the side, the fallopian tube that the egg is being released on. So there are some chemoattractive properties of the egg that are calling to the sperm. But there is no evidence that laying down after sex or standing on your head after sex or trying to do anything to prevent semen from leaking out your vagina is going to improve your chance of getting pregnant. No evidence. And there's also no evidence that position during intercourse impacts chance of getting pregnant either. There is some evidence that perhaps female orgasm may help transport sperm through the reproductive tract better. So I like to say, hey, whatever position is going to make the woman orgasm, that's the best one. I think most women will agree with that. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Quince. My closet has a tendency to get chaotic and crammed with a bunch of clothes that I don't really want to wear. What's been a game changer for me has been upgrading to high quality and affordable pieces from Quince. Now I have a wardrobe full of luxury and classic essentials and I stayed on budget. The best part is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands and they do this by partnering directly with top factories, cutting out the middleman and passing the savings on to us. In addition, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing and premium products and finishes. I personally am loving the linen pieces as it's Texas and summer is upon us. Indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash AAW for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's QUINCE.com slash AAW to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash AAW. And now, a word from one of our sponsors, Ritual. Did you know that 97% of women aged 19 to 50 are not getting enough vitamin D from their diet? Ritual's Essential for Women 18 and Plus was shown to increase vitamin D levels by 43% in a clinical study. I love Ritual and I love taking their Essential for Women 18 Plus every single day. One reason I love it is that it's gentle on an empty stomach and it has a minty essence, so every bottle feels refreshing and is actually enjoyable. It's also clinically backed multivitamin with high quality and traceable key ingredients and they have industry-leading sustainability standards. No more shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 and Over is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com A-A-W. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com A-A-W for 25% off. And then let's talk about lube. So vaginal lubricant may decrease fertility based on studies in the lab. And so specifically, we know like KY jelly, Astroglide, those are not good. And even saliva and olive oil, those have been shown to decrease sperm motility. But mineral oil has not been seen to have such an effect. Also, there's some like fertility-based lubricants. If you've ever heard of pre-seed, it doesn't show to have any negative impact on sperm parameters. But I like to say, hey, if you don't need lubricant, that's the ideal. However, you have to be able to have intercourse and able to get pregnant. So if you need some lubricant, then mineral oil, canola oil, or preseed pre-seed or a hydroxycellulose based lubricant is probably going to be the best. Okay, so that's a little bit about your age, your periods, your fertility awareness methods, when to have sex and sex practices. Let's shift gears from that and talk about lifestyle factors that can impact your fertility both naturally and when you're going through fertility treatments. So let's talk some about toxins. I'm going to say toxin number one is smoking. We have lots of really good evidence that smoking negatively impacts fertility. Women run out of eggs earlier. They go to menopause one to four years earlier if you smoke than if you've never smoked. It increases the risk of miscarriage. No matter if it's natural conception or with IVF, it negatively impacts sperm and it decreases your chance of getting pregnant per month. So the number one thing you can do if you smoke is stop. That's not debatable at all. Alcohol has not clearly been established with negative impacts on fertility, but there's enough evidence that it may negatively impact it for women who consume two or more drinks a day, or for people, four drinks in a week. And so typically, the recommendation should be less than one drink a day, and then no alcohol at all once you are pregnant. And caffeine, as I'm recording this, I'm sitting here with my cup of coffee because you guys know I love coffee. But high levels of caffeine consumption, specifically 500 milligrams a day or more than five cups of coffee has been associated with decreased fertility. And higher than 200 milligrams a day or two cups a day may increase the risk of miscarriage. There is no evidence that it shows birth defects or other problems like that, but certainly if you're trying to get pregnant, you want to optimize your fertility and drop your risk of a miscarriage. So we recommend less than 200 milligrams a day of caffeine or one cup of coffee a day. My caveat here is that coffee really varies. So a lot of these studies were based on coffee that you brew at home, But some commercial coffee makers or companies like Starbucks, they clearly state how much caffeine is in everything. But like a shot of espresso has 75 milligrams of caffeine. So a regular grande latte that has two shots that has 150 milligrams, that's in the safe zone. But often their drip coffee has much more caffeine in it. So they publish their caffeine content. And I recommend if you're a caffeine drinker or want to drink coffee during the process, that you research the amount of caffeine in what you are consuming. And marijuana historically has been difficult to study because you can't study something that's illegal. Certainly we're starting to get more data now, but we have seen some literature that the prevalence of infertility was higher in women who reported marijuana use than those who didn't. We haven't seen that marijuana negatively impacts sperm, but still, the recommendation would be to avoid exposure to these potentially toxic substances. Now, environmental contaminants, this is a much harder one, but very important. A lot of people tend to avoid this because they don't like the data, or they don't like what it means, or they think that it's a health scam to try to get you to buy organic food or things like that. I don't believe any of that. I think the data is clear that the environment we live in, which has encouraged consumerism, has led to things not necessarily being safe for our bodies. And I could likely do a whole episode just on environmental contaminants, but I'm not. I'm just going to hit some of the high points here and maybe in the future we'll do a whole separate episode going more in depth, but let's talk about some of them. So BPA, bisphenol A, it's an endocrine disruptor. What does that mean? It interferes with how your hormones function, specifically estrogen, testosterone, thyroid hormones, and more. BPA is big in plastics. It's gotten a lot of negative press because it has been associated with bad outcomes in the human body. For fertility, we have evidence that BPA exposure is associated with egg quality, poor embryo development in the lab, and lower pregnancy rates. One really important thing, you guys, just because BPA is now well known to be bad, and so they are replacing BPA with other bisphenols in plastics. So just because a plastic says BPA free doesn't mean hey this is safe. So what should you do? You need to avoid plastics especially ones that are getting hot. So plastic food storage, anything that goes in the microwave, plastic water bottles cuz you drink that water. Even plastic water bottles like from the companies that you buy them from like water bottles to go, I mean those are often transported in the heat that plastics not good. You should be encouraging to use a glass or stainless steel drinkware. The can linings, even in like canned tomatoes specifically, because tomatoes are very acidic, often will contain BPA. I think they're starting to phase that out now. But if you go to HEB, I mean, I'm in Texas, so I say HEB. But if you go to the grocery store and you see tomatoes, you can find them in boxes now. And that's preferred over cans. And then limit processed food. so cook at home more. Some of the food packagings or the processing, put some of these contaminants in. And a big one that some people don't know is these thermal receipts that all the companies give us when you buy things. So go electronic, get your receipts emailed to you, tell them you don't want the receipt, throw the receipt away, wash your hands if you touch a paper thermal receipt. And another contaminant that's important are phthalates. And so phthalates are used in plastics, vinyl cleaning products, nail polishes, and fragrance. So fragrance is a big one. One of the most studies is one called DHP, and that's high in food packaging and processing, which kind of makes us nervous. But we think that these phthalates cause higher oxidative stress, and it has been associated with both poor embryo development, and pregnancy rates. So in women going through IVF, those with higher exposures to DEHP had fewer eggs and a lower live birth rate than women who had lower rates of DEHP. So what should you do? Limit processed food, limit fast food. In some foods, it's the packaging, and in some, it's the processing. Change out your plastics. And I hate to admit it, guys, a big offender here is... A coffee maker. So if you brew your coffee at home, it's like hot water coming through. There's a bunch of plastics. Your coffee sit in it. So really consider doing a French press or something else when you brew your own coffee, and limit fragrance. So we're like fragrance free here, meaning you know laundry detergent, soaps, all of it. There should not be any need for extra fragrances. And if you're a perfume lover stop. Um, You know, it's even to the point where we like don't want to have fragrance on if we're going into the IVF lab. So I think we should take that same mentality to our own fertility. If we're putting it in our body and it's absorbing into our skin, we are purposefully exposing ourselves. And then there are some phthalate-free and formaldehyde-free nail polishes that you should consider. A lot of the nail polish studies are actually showing like the levels that are bad for workers who work in a nail salon. So Maybe just painting your nails isn't quite shown as the same exposure. But the truth is, if there's something you can change that could improve your health, why not do it? And now let's talk about PFCs, perfluorinated chemicals. I have like a love relationship with these because I did a huge project on them in fellowship because I just find the environment fascinating. But one of the big offenders for PFCs is Teflon in nonstick pans. So I've said in a few of these things, hey, cook more food at home. Do it in stainless steel or in cast iron, not in Teflon or nonstick. That nonstick coating often contains perfluorinated chemicals that are not good for you. And the last is pesticides. So really the recommendation here is that these organopesticides are not great for our bodies and have been associated with lower fertilities. So organic fruit and vegetables are really important, especially if it doesn't have a peel. We could argue that a banana, which has a peel that you take off, even if it's exposed to pesticides, isn't as harmful for you because the fruit you eat on the inside was not directly exposed. But certainly your non-peel fruit, your grapes, your strawberries, things like that, they need to be organic and they should be washed thoroughly. Okay, if you're still listening, I'm going to switch gears to one of my favorite topics, diet and fertility. I find diet fascinating because this is what we are putting in our body and you know I believe it makes a huge impact. I'm not going to go into tons of details here. We will do this more later, but I just want to kind of give an overview if you're trying to get pregnant, where things stand. So I'm going to start with carbohydrates. They are not bad. Insulin levels, when high, impact normal hormone function in both the ovaries and they can impact egg quality or chromosome abnormalities. An example of this is that diabetics who have high sugar levels and high insulin levels have a higher chance of chromosome abnormalities and a higher risk of miscarriage. And so refined white carbohydrates and sugars have been associated with increased rates of ovulatory infertility, meaning if you don't ovulate or don't have regular periods, you have a harder time getting pregnant. So things like breakfast cereals, white rice, potatoes were associated with lower chances of getting pregnant. And things like brown rice and whole grain bread were associated with higher chances of getting pregnant. In a small IVF study in women with no blood sugar problems, so they didn't have diabetes or prediabetes, who failed their first cycle of IVF, when they were asked to eat fewer simple carbohydrates, they had improved embryo quality and pregnancy rates. And sugar itself, so take it from simple carbs and really think about sugar, that's bad, especially in the form of soda. Just one soda a day has been associated in multiple studies with lower live birth rates, lower fecundability levels, IVF naturally. So no soda. You heard it here, no soda. Whole grains themselves though. So some of that data I just said give carbohydrates a really bad reputation But the truth is whole grains have been showed to have antioxidants and anti-inflammatory properties, which can be beneficial on your glucose metabolism and has been associated with higher life birth rates. So listen carefully. Carbohydrates are not bad. You do not need to be carb-free. Do not listen to this and think that that's what I'm saying. I am not advocating for a ketogenic diet. Carbohydrates are important for how your body functions and it's an important part of the dietary process for most people. So, my recommendation, based on the studies that are out there, is to limit your sugar, no soda, limit your processed and refined carbohydrates, and encourage whole grain carbohydrates that are high in fiber and good for us to digest, like legumes, whole grains, quinoa, wild rice, brown rice, steel oats, buckwheat, bands of those things. And a side note is that fruit has natural sugar, but it also has a lot of fiber. And fiber changes how sugar is absorbed, and it helps stabilize your blood sugar levels to prevent insulin spikes. So fruit is good. Go eat fruit. And gluten. Let's talk about gluten. So if you have celiac disease, we know that you don't process gluten well. This can cause inflammation, decrease pregnancy, and increase miscarriage rates. Celiac disease as an autoimmune disease. And so there is some thought that other women on the autoimmune spectrum may have some sensitivity to gluten, even though they're not truly gluten intolerant. So other inflammatory autoimmune diseases like thyroid disease, endometriosis, possible causes of recurrent miscarriage may have sensitivity to gluten. So often for these patients, I will recommend and some other doctors will recommend to avoid gluten. And potentially avoid dairy, too, because both gluten and dairy can contribute to inflammation and women who have a sensitivity, even if they don't have full celiac disease. Switching gears, it appears by evidence that eating more plants improves reproductive outcomes. You know that I'm over here doing a dance because I'm hashtag eat more plants, Plant-based eating encourages you, one, to take in lots of vitamins and nutrients, and two, limits your exposure to potential toxins and hormones that are put into meat in the processing. Let's talk about ovulation. Ovulation is essential for reproduction. And an increase in vegetable protein improves ovulation pattern. So in the Nurses' Health Study, which was a really large study evaluating nutritional parameters in nurses, we got a lot of our nutritional data from this large cohort. And what it showed is that for every serving of protein that came from a vegetable source over an animal source was associated with an improvement in pregnancy rates. And similarly, in an evaluation of IVF parameters with dietary intake and embryo development, Red meat consumption and weight loss dieting were both associated with lower pregnancy rates and lower probability of embryo development. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Caraway. Spring is coming and I always love a good home reset. Non-toxic cookware is the perfect way for you to kick off your own spring cleaning. With so many collections to explore, there is a Caraway for every cook. Their internet famous kitchenware is a staple for any home. It comes with beautiful shades to fit your aesthetic, but most importantly, you're ditching the chemicals. Caraway's non-toxic kitchenware comes a chemical-free ceramic coating so your food can be prepared without any of those hard-to-pronounce chemicals leaching in to your healthy ingredients. Everybody knows that I am a big believer that our environment impacts our body, and that's why I trust Caraway with my cooking. Visit carawayhome.com slash AAW to take advantage of this limited time offer for 10% off your next purchase. This deal is exclusive for our listeners, so visit carawayhome.com slash AAW or use the code AAW at checkout. Caraway non toxic cookware made modern. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Rocket Money. Did you know that nearly 75% of people have subscriptions that they've forgotten about? Embarrassingly, I am one of those as well. And Rocket Money can cancel a subscription for you that otherwise could have been a time-consuming process. Between streaming services, fitness apps, and delivery services, it can be never-ending. So Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions. They monitor your spending and help you lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. So this is further evidence that both, one, red meat is not good for you, and two, having a negative energy balance or a ketotic diet in weight loss is not a healthy consumption of what is in your environment and not a good place for your body to be receiving a pregnancy. It's worth noting that animal foods are high in something called AGEs, or advanced glycolation end products, and these AGEs have been shown to cause cellular damage in multiple studies. There's evidence that AGE accumulation is correlated with poor follicle and poor embryo development and thus lower pregnancy rates. So animal foods are high in AGEs. This may be another pathway how animal products are contributing to lower pregnancy rates. There's also evidence that animal products such as meat and milks have high levels of endocrine disrupting compounds and this can increase the level of sex steroids in these processed foods. This can impact how our hormones function, and this is important when we're trying to get pregnant. So let's talk about fish for a minute because evidence suggests that diets that are high in omega-3 polyunsaturated fatty acids have been shown to have a shorter time to pregnancy, improved ovulation, and improved outcomes with fertility treatments. Fish consumption studies give us inconsistent results. One is because fish can be an excellent source of omega-3s, but also because fish consumption has the risk of environmental exposures to methylmercury. And so if you do eat fish, it should be limited to two to three servings per week, and it should be smaller fish. The easiest way to think about this is that big fish eat smaller fish, and the bigger the fish is, the more mercury it has because the small fish had mercury too. So if you're going to eat fish less than two to three times per week, Certainly another good way to get omega-3s is through supplements. So that can be a fish oil supplement or an algae-based supplement if you're avoiding animal products. And this brings us to dairy. So an evaluation of dairy intakes has been really inconsistent on reproductive outcomes. Total dairy hasn't always been associated with decreased fertility, but some studies have revealed negative associations. It has been shown that if you do eat dairy, full-fat products are better than low-fat products, and this is probably due to the processing and the removal of some of the fat when you're trying to make skim milk. They're putting in other hormones and substances to keep the consistency that can be harmful to your fertility. And soy, there's this long-standing concern that soy-based protein may impair normal endocrine estrogen-dependent pathways, and no correlation has been seen between soy intake and decreased fecundability in any of these studies. And in addition, patients undergoing fertility treatments, there were actually improvements in reproductive outcomes, including live birth rate in women who had higher soy-based diet. So the concern that soy is going to negatively impact your estrogen is not founded based on any research when it comes to fertility. And it may not be that soy is good for you for these IVF studies, but simply women who ate more soy probably ate less animal products. So it could be confounding from that factor, but I think we can say that soy is not harmful for you. And a recent study published in the American Journal of Obstetrics and Gynecology or the Gray Journal this year, 2019, showed that a fertility diet higher in supplemental folic acid, B12, and vitamin D had low pesticide rather than high pesticide produce, whole grains over simple carbs, dairy, soy foods, and seafood, other red and other meats, had higher probabilities of live birth, even with IVF. And so I like to say female reproduction is a hormone-dependent and sensitive process. Many different things have to come together and function normally. This hypothesis that an increased consumption of animal-based products, meat, eggs, potentially dairy, may increase the exposure to endocrine-disrupting chemicals and steroid hormones and growth hormones. And so it appears that greater adherence to a healthy diet, emphasis on whole grains, organic fruits and vegetables, soy-based products limiting animal food consumption, is going to result in improved health and an increased probability of getting pregnant. For the naysayers out there who say, well, eating vegetarian or vegan, that's not exactly what I'm advocating, even though I'm a personal advocate for this. For people who say, well, that's bad to be pregnant that way, there's no data that supports that. There is some evidence that vegan or vegetarians may need to supplement with extra vitamins and supplements, but I'm a fan that most of us probably need to be on some supplements. And so I want to kind of jump into that. One of the things that vegans really need to supplement is B12, and you heard me say even up here in the healthy fertility diet, the AJOG study showed that B12 is an important supplement to take. B12-fortified foods include like nut-based milk, so soy milk or almond milk, cereals and nutritional yeast, or supplements. No plant foods, unless it's fortified, really has enough active vitamin B12. So if you are vegan and you're not having any animal-based product, you're likely going to have low vitamin B12 levels. If you're vegetarian, so you eat eggs and cheese, you're probably getting enough B12 from dairy and from eggs. And so I don't think this is as big of a concern. But for vitamin B12, I usually recommend at least 10 micrograms a day if you're vegan. And if you're vegetarian or regular, you want at least 3 micrograms a day. So if you're trying to get pregnant, you should be taking a prenatal vitamin. Make sure that your supplement has at least the amount that you need or take an additional separate vitamin B supplement. Never, when we start talking about supplements, double up and take just extra prenatal vitamins. That's not healthy for you. Other supplements that are important, one of the big ones is vitamin D. So vitamin D has been shown to be associated with higher live birth rates and clinical pregnancy rates and we think it positively impacts the lining of the uterus or the endometrial receptivity. Foods are fortified with vitamin D like cow's milk, your nut-based milk, your soy milk, your almond milk. But guys, I've spent years checking vitamin D levels and almost everybody is deficient. Vitamin D also comes from sun exposure. But the point is that almost everybody needs supplemental vitamin D. And so I usually recommend vitamin D3 and at least 1,000 to 2,000 international units a day. If your doctor is checking your vitamin D level, you may even get on a prescription strength to try to get it higher faster. Those who have dark skin or who are not in the sun as much do naturally have lower vitamin D levels. Folate is extremely important. Folic acid is crucial to help prevent neural tube defects. Folic acid is also really crucial for cell development, and so it can play a role in infertility. Folate is naturally found in leafy greens, broccoli, asparagus, avocado, and beans but I don't believe that for any person, just having dietary sources of folate are enough. Breads and carbohydrates are now fortified with folic acid. At least 400 micrograms a day is what was required to prevent a neural tube defect. And so all prenatal vitamins have this. There's some evidence that higher levels may benefit fertility more, so 800 micrograms per day. And so that's what I recommend for most of my patients. And some patients have difficulty processing folic acid, This is not always worth testing, but certainly some supplements have a methylated folate in them. And if you are taking that, you don't have to worry if your body processes it good or normal or abnormally. Vitamins and supplements when it comes to your fertility, there are lists and lists of different things that you can take that may have an improvement. Some of the ones that I think have the most evidence are that antioxidants in general help improve cell repairment and decrease oxidative stress. So making sure that you're taking vitamin E and vitamin C, and those are typically in your prenatal vitamin. For aging, so if you have poor ovarian reserve, poor egg quality, or if you're getting older, there's some evidence that coQ10, which is an enzyme important in how the mitochondria function, can be helpful to improve quality of your eggs. Quality of eggs is extremely difficult to study, but I do recommend my older patients or those with poor ovarian reserve or poor outcomes in the past take 200 micrograms of ubiquinol, which is the form of coenzyme Q10 that can be easily metabolized and processed. DHEA is another hormone. It's a precursor made from the ovaries and the adrenal glands. And it is important for early development of ovarian follicles. And so some women, especially if you're running out of eggs, have poor egg quality or low ovarian reserve or have autoimmune conditions, may benefit from DHEA supplementation. And if so, I usually recommend 25 milligrams a day. Now, here's how I'm going to end all of this. One, this episode's been long, so thanks for listening. Two, these are a lot of averages and associations, but I'm a huge believer that every woman is unique and individual and different. And you should be talking to your doctor, especially if you're taking some of these supplements. What you'll find is a lot of physicians either feel neutral or positive about them, but your physician deserves to know that you're taking medication. So the very last thing I want you to do is listen to this podcast, start taking a supplement, and not tell your physician about it. That's not cool. And I want to end by saying that stress and depression and anxiety are not helpful in your fertility journey. That's really hard to say because I'm going to tell you not to be stressed, and that's going to make you more stressed. But there's no shame. So see a mental health specialist if you are struggling with depression and anxiety. If you're stressed, consider alternative therapies like acupuncture or yoga, which may improve mental health or decrease stress and improve your perceived stress level and pregnancy rates. I want to say thank you guys so much for listening to this really long episode. I can't wait to hear what you think about this. This is something I'm super passionate about. And I think it's really important to empower women with information that they need to know about their bodies and the world around us and what we are exposed to and how that may impact when we're trying to get pregnant. So I've been loving all the topics you've been requesting. Please keep sending them in. I love all your shares of the As A Woman podcast with all of your friends. Please continue to share and to send feedback. And please feel free to follow along on my Instagram at Natalie Crawford MD. Check out the website nataliecrawfordmd.com and send over any questions you have or topics that you'd like to have covered. And please join next week where I'm talking about egg freezing, what it is, when to do it, and what to expect. Have a great one.